לקוטי סיכס, חלק יוד טס, ראש השנה. This week's sikha is from a Rosh Hashanah gathering from a Fabrengen that was held in 1980. The Rebbe begins with words of encouragement relevant to the spirit of the day. The new year was a Hakel year. The word Hayoim, says the Rebbe, today, in the words of the first verse in Parshas Nitzavim, Atem Nitzavim Hayoim, Kulchem Lifnei Hashem Lekechem, Here you stand gathered before God, your God, today, is explained by the Alter Rebbe as a reference to Rosh Hashanah. We are standing before God in a manner of kulchem, of unity, all together from the heads of communities to the woodcutters and the water gatherers and all the strata of people in between, all together in unity. The intention of standing today, all of you, reflects a unity that comes from on high, hence before God. Chassidus explains this word nitzavim to mean it is God who makes us upstanding. Of course, there must also be the individual effort, as one's kav shalom, one's own small measure of effort, measure of effort is of greater worth to a person than nine measures of effort that his friend might put in. In this case, though, as one's friend would be a reference to God, as quoted in the Tractate of Shabbos, one's small effort also generates the nine measures of effort that God comes forward with. In total, if a person puts in his own small effort, he has all ten measures of effort combined. Clearly, the beginning of a Jew's service is his own effort, as we indeed recite In our liturgy, Mekadesh Yisroel V'Hazmanim, a Jew sanctifies the festivals, and that occurs in unity as we do this with one heart, with one purpose, achieving an ever greater increase in the experience of standing all together. If this is then done at a time of Kiddush, or when making a L'chaim, like at a Fabrengen, using a physical medium like wine or mashka, That will become part of his own flesh. What is achieved is, as our sages say, imbibing brings togetherness. This is particularly true when this is connected to a festival like Rosh Hashanah, regarding which the prophet Nehemiah tells us, God's joy is your energy, and we're enjoined to drink sweet wines and to eat fat meats. The fact is that this year, Rosh Hashanah, is celebrated as a Hakel year, a year when it's a mitzvah to gather the nation. This energy permeates the year from the very beginning. The beginning of a Hakel year is the conclusion of the Shemitah year, the year when the land of Israel lay fallow. And this energy permeates the festivals until Sukkot. So the joy of Sukkot begins on Rosh Hashanah, although it is yet a concealed joy. This is a good reason for all to wish one another l'chaim on wine. Wine has the characteristic of gladdening God and people. Wine is used on the altar. Wine is used for sanctification as it binds with a person and brings great joy. Particularly saying l'chaim at a fabrengen, in a home of Torah growth and a center of prayer, on a Rosh Hashanah connected to Hakel, may it indeed be God's will that everything that needs to be accomplished will be through the actions taken here.
At this point in the Fabringen, the Rebbe encouraged the singing of the Nigun in three stanzas, the stanza of the Baal Shem Tev, of the Magid of Mezrich, and of the Alter Rebbe. The Rebbe then instructed for the singing of the Nigunim of each of the Rebbeim, concluding with a song to the words, Ata Bechartanu, it is you, it is us who you have chosen. After the Mimer melody was sung, the Rebbe said a Mimer, a Hasidic discourse on the words, this is the day your work begins. And this sicha then followed the mimer in which the Rebbe makes reference to the mimer. The concept of this is the day your work begins, and the difference between ze and koi, which was discussed in the mimer, is covered in many of the Tzemach Tzedek's talks on Rosh Hashanah. In addition, it's also discussed in the additions and explanations authored by the Tzemach Tzedek on the Kutei Teira of the Alter Rebbe, where he discusses that the concept of Rosh Hashanah, being the day of the beginning of God's work, connects uniquely to the Tzemach Tzedek, whose birthday is Erev Rosh Hashanah, and whose bris took place in the ten days of repentance in Aserasimei Tshuva between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. As discussed in a previous gathering with the birth of the Tzemach Tzedek and in direct connection to him, his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, spoke of the idea of Mashpian Eisei Tihit Tzedek, the very teaching that became the foundation for the first three chapters in Tanya, that a soul of a Jewish child is empowered before birth and before it leaves the womb and enters this world and is filled with the possibility of righteousness. The Tzemach Tzedek's birth and the filling of the soul before birth with the potential to be righteous has a significant connection to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah was the day that Adam, Adam the first man, was created. This is much like the day of the soul's descent into a body and the birth of every Jew, as we are all, says the Talmud, called Adam. The Mishnah in Sanhedrin states that every person is a complete universe, just like Adam was, the first, and at the time, the only, one and only human. In fact, this is why Adam was created alone, so that we know for all time that each of us is a complete universe, just like Adam thousands of years ago. This further highlights the connection between the creation of man on Rosh Hashanah and the birth of every Jew. Rosh Hashanah is the time each year when the events of the very first Rosh Hashanah are reviewed and repeated, including the very creation of man, and thus it is our birthday too, every year. So reviewing the teaching on Erev Rosh Hashanah regarding the soul being empowered to be righteous before its descent into this world as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah alludes as well to the idea that as Rosh Hashanah specifically is the birthday of every Jew, as the empowering of every Jew transpires before birth, hence on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Though Adam's birth or Adam's creation took place on the very day of Rosh Hashanah, there were a few hours before his creation on that day, as the Talmud relates and enumerates the hours <coughs> excuse me, of the day of Adam's creation in the tractate of Sanhedrin. This year brings an addition to the context of a day that is reviewed and recalled, the day of Rosh Hashanah, as well as to the creation of man. 
Man was created on the sixth day of the week. However, there's a rule that Rosh Chodesh Tishrei should never be established on a Sunday, a Wednesday, or a Friday. This results in Rosh Hashanah never landing on the sixth day of the week, as it did with the creation of man. The only possibility for this occurring is when the dates are as they are this year, and the second day of Rosh Hashanah is on the sixth day of the week on a Friday. Despite the fact that it is the second day of Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is considered a single long day, which means that this year's Rosh Hashanah is on the day of the creation of men, just as it was when God created the world. This year, it is at the conclusion of a single long day, just as it was when Adam was created in the latter hours of the day. It behooves us to pause here to discuss the concept of Rosh Hashanah as a two-day festival, which is in this case true also for the land of Israel and not only for those outside of the land. This holiday, when all Jews celebrate two days, creates a spirit of kulchem, togetherness. This is unlike all other festivals when there's a distinct difference and those outside of Israel celebrate a second day, a second festival day for those in the diaspora. All Jews on Rosh Hashanah thus celebrate two days of the festival, whether in Israel, the land upon which God's eyes rest from the beginning of a year until the conclusion of that year, or outside of Israel, where the largest concentration of Jews live, until Mashiach brings us all home to Eretz Yisrael. For those who seek a source for celebrating two days of Rosh Hashanah, this is found in a verse in the Torah, in the Prophets, in the book of Nehemiah. In chapter 8, where the prophet speaks of that which occurred on the first day of the seventh month on the day of Rosh Hashanah. The verses tell us that the nation was told to eat rich foods and to drink sweet drinks and to send portions of food to those who do not have, for this day is holy to God. Do not be sad, says Ezra, who was the spiritual and political leader and head of the Sanhedrin at the time, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The verses continue to tell us, so they did, and, and on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, the priests and the Levites, gathered to Ezra the scholar to understand the words of Torah. Commentaries then explain that on the second day, means not the day after the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah, but on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. The explanation given for this occurrence is that the month of Elul was a leap month, as the year was counted from Nisan, and Rosh Hashanah, which must be celebrated on the first of Tishrei, was then a two-day festival so that it would be celebrated on the correct day. The celebration of Rosh Hashanah in the book of Nehemiah, described as a day when the entire nation feasted and celebrated with great joy, can be connected to the concept discussed by the previous Rebbe regarding the great joy in heavenly realms on the day that a king is crowned. As the heavenly kingdom is a reflection of the earthly kingdom, the celebration of crowning a king in this earthly realm, when we crown God on Rosh Hashanah, it is with immense joy. Parenthetically, regarding the idea that the heavenly kingdom is a reflection of the earthly kingdom. And so if the joy of crowning the king is with immense joy above, it is because so it is here in our realm, 
The question must be asked. The heavenly realms are not forced, God forbid, to do as things are done or occur in earthly realms. How then can we say that because in the earthly kingdom the crowning of a king is with great joy, so it is in the heavenly kingdom? Indeed, there are several parables given by our sages which compare God to a king of flesh and blood, which raises similar question. How can we possibly say that something is a certain way regarding God because it is so in this world? This question would also be asked in the famous parable of the Magid of Mezrich, of a father in this realm who envisions and inscribes in his thoughts the image of a son. So it is above. Souls are engraved in the thoughts of God, with a distinction that in the parable, the human father, one who has never yet had a son, cannot say that he can envision and engrave the image of his son who he has yet to have, which is, of course, distinctly different to God, who before our creation envisioned us and engraved us in his mind. As for God, the past and future are one. The explanation here regarding using a parable of the earthly domain for the heavenly domain is that the intention is not to suggest that it is so here, that as it is so here, so it is above. In fact, it is precisely the opposite. From what we can witness here below, we know how this manifests in higher worlds. Beyond that even, because it is so above, there is a devolution and an effluence into this world, and so it manifests here. If one wants to know how something is above, one should look closely how that manifests in this world, and one will have an awareness of how it is above. This is true of all parables. They reflect the words found in Job, it is from my flesh that I perceive God. One wants that to have not just faith, but the ability to grasp and to know God. This is the intention of Maimonides when he says it is a mitzvah to know God, it is not about one's belief in God. The Tzemach Tzedek, too, in his explanation in Sefer HaMitzvah that he authored, asks, how can one command faith in God? When faith is the very foundation and beginning of all commandments, that would mean if I could not fulfill that commandment, I could not observe any commandments. But the Tzemach Tzedek explains that in addition to the commandment being about the details of faith, the commandment is, in essence, to know that there is a primordial being, which is actually why we need parables at all, so that we can have a grasp of higher realms, the intention of the words, from my own flesh, I can grasp God. Man in this world is Adam Elyon, likened unto God, and thus one can know from a human king in this lowly realm what it is like, so to speak, when we speak of our Father in heaven, King of kings, God himself. This is what the previous Rebbe teaches in Sefer Mamorim of 5703, that the observation of the great joy that accompanies the crowning of a sovereign in an earthly kingdom tells us that so it is when we crown the king in the heavenly kingdom. This is the end of the parenthetic thought. As we discussed earlier, after we read in the book of Nehemiah that the nation went to eat and to greatly rejoice as they had been instructed, the following verse speaks of a Yom Sheni, a second day of Rosh Hashanah. And the verse tells us what happened on that second day of Rosh Hashanah. 
El Divrei Hatera. The heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, the priests and the Levites, gathered to Ezra the scholar to understand the words of the Torah. And they found written in the Torah, the verses continued to tell us, that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses that the children of Israel dwell in booths on the festival in the seventh month. And at that time Ezra commanded them and said that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive leaves and leaves of oil trees, myrtle leaves, date palm leaves, and leaves of platted trees to make booths, as it is written. The language used here to go out to the mountain is like the terminology used in the book of Haggai, where in the sixth month, on the first of the month, God speaks to the prophet Haggai and says with surprise, This people has said, The time has not come, the time for the house of the Lord to be built. And the verses then continue and God says, Ascend the mountain, bring wood, and build the house, and I will accept it, and I will be honored, said the Lord. There's a difference between these two times that God says, Ascend the mountain. In Nehemiah, God says, Go out to the mountain. In Haggai, God says, Ascend the mountain. The difference lies in that Haggai, in Haggai, the temple is not built and they must go build it. This would be an elevation from before to after, from before the house of God is built to after it is built. In Nehemiah, there is a temple standing, and thus the verse states, go out to this mountain. Though on that day, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the nation did not yet fulfill the actual mitzvah of Sukkah, they had nevertheless decided that they would fulfill what Ezra was instructing them to do, to go out to the mountain. And God attaches a good thought to an action, so just their decision to do as, as Ezra told them ensured that it would manifest in an action. Beyond that even, on the verse in the portion of Bui, it tells us that they went and they did as God had commanded Moshe and Aaron. In regards to bringing the Paschal sacrifice, Rashi presents a question. Did they already do it? asks Rashi. Wasn't this said to them on Rosh Chodesh? And quoting from the Mechilta, Rashi answers, but since they accepted upon themselves to do it, scripture credits them for it as if they had already done it. And so it is regarding the decision to celebrate the Yom Tov of Sukkot. Because the nation decided to do so, it was considered as if they had already done so. After that, the verse in the Chamya tells us how the Jews fulfilled the actual mitzvah of Sukkot, a mitzvah they had not fulfilled since their exile. And the people went forth and brought and made booths for themselves, each one on his roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim, and all the congregation of the returnees from the captivity made booths and dwelt in the booths. They had not done so from the days of Joshua the son of Nun until that day, and there was exceedingly great joy. In Tshuvas HaGeonim, a collection of responsa from the time of the Geonim, it's recorded that they were asked whether a sukkah was needed at a synagogue as well. And the question, the answer, though, in fact, is based on the verse in Nehemiah. 
At first, the answer seems to be that this was not necessary, because a sukkah was a place one should sit in, like in one's home, and a synagogue does not have that status of someone's home. However, for guests who come to a town, there does need to be a sukkah in the synagogue, and the reference for this responsa was the sukkah that was built in the temple, which we know from these verses in Nehemiah, that the people were making sukkahs on their roofs and in their courtyards and in the courtyard of the house of God as well. The responsa concludes with the words, and so is the custom in Israel. From all of this, what we learn in Nehemiah and the response of the Ga'inim and all its details, there are several implications. One of them is that on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, one must prepare oneself for Sukkot by deciding that one will do the things necessary on Sukkot and with great joy. Particularly as Chassidus teaches that on Rosh Hashanah there are aspects of Chagenu, our festival of rejoicing, a reference to Sukkot, but they are Bakesa concealed. Practically, as discussed in a previous Fabrengen and in years past, about ensuring that those who do not have are sent parcels of food, which in the book of Nehemiah is, very, is relevant to Rosh Hashanah, it is practically also important that this be done for Sukkot, ensuring that those who need have everything to celebrate the festival of Sukkot with immense joy. And this must also be done in the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, so that these days are filled with joy, with immense joy. The way to do this is the same for every Jew by ensuring that if something is lacking, they have everything needed in order to be joyous and happy to the point of Simchas Eilam al Reisham, a joy of the joy of days of yore upon their heads, a joy that is distinctly connected to the complete and true redemption through Mashiach Tzidkenu, a righteous redeemer, who will build the temple in its place and then gather the Jews scattered back home. May it be God's will, in a manner of gather the nation, the men, the women, the children, and the stranger in your gates, that it be in this year, a year of Hakil, 5741 that comes upon us with goodness and with blessing. May our being written and inscribed to long years and to life in the book of complete, the completely righteous, for all your nation are righteous, precede this even. And may we be blessed with a ksiva, a chasima teva, a shana teva umasuka, with obvious and revealed good here below, and may it be speedily in our days mamash.